Well, thank you for coming back and listening again to Kingdom Alive. This podcast focuses on the Sermon on the Mount and its importance for you if you are seriously interested in reigning with Christ in his kingdom. It is not an automatic gift. It must be earned. The Sermon on the Mount is the most detailed, crystallized presentation of what it will take to gain the right to sit with Christ on his glorious throne in his kingdom that will last 1,000 years on this earth. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount because it is a unit Matthew's presentation of this material focuses exclusively on what a believer, a disciple, needs to do if he intends to receive the commendation, exaltation, and honoration possible at the return of Jesus Christ. Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, can correctly be called the Gospel of Rewards because Matthew really is the Gospel of Rewards. He tells us in chapter 5, verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now, of course, You have to check the context, and in doing so, you will see that he's talking about those who suffer or who suffer well, those who are personally persecuted by the world for your fellowship of Jesus Christ, for your commitment, your determination to be faithful to him, even in the midst of intense, ongoing persecution. This will be rewarded, Jesus says, when he returns. The Greek noun mythos, M-I-S-T-H-O-S, mythos, occurs 29 times in the New Testament. But what is of great interest to us is the fact that it occurs 10 times in the Gospel of Matthew alone. No other book comes close to having as often occurrence of this term reward or mythos as Matthew does. Matthew, in fact, has it 10 times. That's one third of the total number of of occurrences in the New Testament occur in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, this is remarkable, particularly if you compare it to the other three Gospels. For example, the Gospel of Mark only has the term one time. Luke uses the term three times, and the Gospel of John has it one time. That is, it pales in comparison to how often Matthew refers to the issue of rewards, their importance, how you get them, and the fact that you will indeed want them when the Lord Jesus comes to give an accounting of what we have done with what he told us to do. 
Most interestingly, the six of the ten occurrences in the Gospel of Matthew actually occur in the Sermon on the Mount. That's six times. It typically is translated reward or pay. Literally in Greek, it means reward or recompense to be compensated for something that you have done. Now, um, we will see, or you will see if you sit and read the Sermon on the Mount in whole, you will discover that the six occurrences of the term here are not uh, nice, let's say. Um, the idea is, hey, he's telling you what will keep you from receiving heavenly rewards. It's very important to me that I communicate to you how important this is. You know, we Americans, um, we pretty much eat the same thing for breakfast year in and year out. We have very little variation. Breakfast is a meal that is pretty typically consumed somewhat on the run. And we tend to want something that's fast and easy. And thus, we typically do the very same thing over and over. I would say to you that we all need to regularly eat uh, the Sermon on the Mount. I hope you'll read it every day. Every day you begin reading, you begin your day with reading this passage. Read it so often that you basically memorize it and then live it. Use it as a guide to decision-making day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute, because when it really comes down to the end of this life and you being rewarded, you're going to want to have lived your life as fully and as completely as possible according to the Sermon on the Mount as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew. Interestingly, Matthew focuses on conduct that does not store up rewards in heaven. In fact, six times he's going to mention this issue. He starts in chapter 5, verse 12, for, where he tells us that if we suffer persecution and we do it well, that we will have rewards in heaven. For your reward in heaven is great, he says, meaning that you will have substantial reward coming if you, in fact, endure persecution well. This is important. He says, however, beginning near the end of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 specifically, that there are, there are in fact, behaviors that do not store up rewards in heaven. I find it fascinating that the last book of the Bible, the last chapter of the New Testament, the book of Revelation, of course, has this. He says, yes, I'm on my way. I'll be there soon. 
I'm bringing my payroll with me. I'll pay all people in full for their life's work. I'm the A to Z, the first and the final, the beginning and the conclusion. Of course, I'm reading from the uh, Bible translation called The Message. Puts the Bible in contemporary language. But basically, Jesus is saying, I am going to return. And when I do, I'm bringing with me my reward. And I'm going to pay men, every man, for how he lived on this earth, for the works that he did. This is important as a focus to help us stay centered on what is really important. Living your life in such a way that you are storing, that you are sending up, that you are putting up in heaven your rewards to be paid at the return of Christ. Matthew chapter 5 verse 46 tells us that if we are a disciple who only loves others just like ourselves, that we will have no reward in heaven. You don't get anything from God by loving those just like you. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. Now, of course, tax, tax collectors were considered the scum of the earth 2000 years ago. And they were looked down on with great disdain and displeasure. So here Jesus is saying to his disciples, if you want to earn credit in heaven for how you love, be sure you love those who don't love you, those who dislike you, those who are against you. He says you should love those individuals. Now, uh, the problem is that we don't have a real uh, good understanding of the biblical definition of love. We tend to think of love with lots of emotions and lots of feeling and lots of, you know, attachments. But that's really not what this Greek word means. Agape has no emotion in it. There is no feelings. It's simply an attitude. It is an attitude of having no negative mental reservations about a person. In other words, you look at people as a blank slate, even though they may have things about them that you dislike or could dislike, you, they may have things about them that you definitely could hate or really, really, really not be fascinated with. You don't hold those negative attitudes against them. You hold them as pure in the sense that you see them free of any negative mental reservations. Jesus says you should be able to look at your enemy, even though he, he considers himself your enemy. You look at him as simply fallen, a person that is not able to love as you are because of what God has done for you. By loving those who don't love you, you in fact 
build reward in heaven. Notice verse 47 actually continues. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. He says, listen, if you only love those who love you, if you only greet those who greet you, then you are doing nothing more than Gentiles do. And Gentiles were considered unbelievers, uh, those who were not like God. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are expected to treat people nicely. You are expected to bend over backwards, as we would say, to demonstrate that you are distinctively different from the world. I want you to notice the two examples that the Lord uses uh, to draw out the point of his comparison. He says in verse 46, do not even the tax collectors love those who love them. And then in verse 47, do not even the Gentiles do the same. So Gentiles and tax collectors, in the Jewish mind 2,000 years ago, these were the people considered the worst. They were the scum of the earth. They were the people that you naturally wouldn't love, like, or want to be around. Yet Jesus is saying to his disciples, by the way, mostly Jews, that if you are only loving people who love you, or if you only greet those who greet you, then you are no better than those individuals who you think are the worst in the world. He's saying, ladies and gentlemen, that we must be distinctively different. This is what the Sermon on the Mount is calling you to do if you want to, in fact, store up in heaven great, great rewards that will be given back to you when the Lord Jesus returns. He continues with another illustration in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. In other words, if you only do the right thing to get praise and applause of people, if the only reason you do what you do is so other people can say how good and how nice you are, he says, listen, that will not result in you having reward with your father in heaven. You will have no reward from your father. When he comes in his kingdom to sit up, to sit up his kingdom on this earth with his son as ruler, you will not be appointed one of his ambassadors, one of his officials who rule with him. You'll not be in the ruling class. If your righteousness, now he's not talking about the righteousness that you get from Jesus Christ. He's talking about how you live your life, how you say amen when someone says the truth, how you give water to someone who is thirsty, how you help someone who's down and out. 
For example, Jesus used the illustration that people who were coming to the temple to give money for God's work only did it if they could sound a symbol and draw attention to themselves as they dropped their money in the offering basket. If they, you want to be seen doing it and you want everybody to know that you did it and you want to feel good, you want people to feel good about the fact that you did it, you may have given it, but in terms of, the, of eternal benefit for you, there is none. He says such behavior will have no ramifications in the positive when the Lord Jesus returns. In fact, it's going to be negative consequences, not positive. Notice in verse 2, he says, that Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. When they got the praise of people for what they did, that was the reward. And that was all. They'll get no reward from God. If you only practice your Christian life to be seen and applauded by people, Jesus says you'll get no reward from God. And the only reward you'll get is the few hand claps or a few pat on the backs or a few worthy words of praise, perhaps from some man or woman on this earth. That is the totality of your possible reward. So he, he's not here. See, he's telling you what you should be doing if you want to have lots of reward in heaven. He's telling you what you will, what you do that will not result in lots of rewards in heaven. He continues in verse five of chapter six. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Here it is again. If the reason you do what you do is to simply receive praise from people, you'll get no praise from God. That's the point that he's making. You need to be conscious of why you're doing what you're doing. He says, when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. The, just the converse, ladies and gentlemen. In other words, we need to be very careful about what it is that we're doing. He will give us our pay based on how well we lived according to his biblical mandate. This is why I'm telling you that you want to memorize the Sermon on the Mount and you want to live as close as you possibly can to what it says, because by doing so, your reward will be great in heaven. In verse 16, he uh, concludes the, this trinity when he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their face that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Here again, fasting, 
praying, giving. These are the three that Jesus has outlined. And he says, your giving, your praying, and your fasting should be done in such a way that people have no idea what you're doing, but God will, and with that will come praise and reward from God. When you fast, he says, don't fast to look to let people know that you're fasting so people will say, oh, what a great Christian you are. Oh, what a great Christian he is. He's fasting. And oh, look how disfigured. And oh, look how weak and how emaciated he looks. Isn't he great? Isn't she wonderful? Jesus says, that is all the reward that you're going to get. That, that somebody praised you for what you did or what you said. Now, ladies and gentlemen, he, he, Jesus is serious here. And he's telling us that if we want to have rewards in heaven, great rewards, then we must make every effort to make sure that we are living, doing our Christian life in a way that builds on our foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, and not wood, hay, and stubble. Wood, hay, and stubble are those works that we do in the flesh. Those that we do for the praise of people, those that we get more excited about what people might say than what God says. Basically, when it comes to the issue of rewards in the Gospel of Matthew, and particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, there are two summarizing statements that we can make. Number one, for Matthew, only fully devoted disciples earn rewards. He says, for to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So if you want to be assured of rewards in heaven, that is, if you want Jesus to say, well done, thy good and faithful servant, that's commendation. You are faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. That's exaltation. Enter into the joy of your master. That's honoration. That is being paraded down the main street of eternity to be seen by all that you were among the rarefied ones whom God recognized as truly faithful. Only fully devoted disciples earn rewards. This is so important. I cannot overemphasize this. You are going to be extremely disappointed if you find out that you will receive no reward. In fact, Jesus says there's going to be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth by these disciples of his who will find out that everything they did for the kingdom counts as nothing because they did it for the wrong reason with the wrong motivation. They did it to be seen by people and not to be ultimately appreciated by God. This is so important. The second summarizing statement that I need you to understand is these rewards are stored up with the Father in heaven 
until the Son of Man, Jesus, comes to settle accounts and repay everyone according to their deeds. If your deeds are not holy, divine, and righteous, then you will re receive condemnation, demotion, and humiliation. So every believer, whether faithful or unfaithful, will be rewarded. It's just that if you prove to be unfaithful, the rewards that you get, you will not want. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the most serious subject that I could possibly uh, talk to you about. And the reason I'm doing it is because we have put the emphasis, in my opinion, we have put the emphasis in the wrong place. We need to be focused on what we need to do in order to be found with praise and honor and adulation by our great God when he comes back to this earth to sit on his glorious throne. The word of God tells us that the for he, that is Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame of it, and sat down at the right hand of the Father on the high. Jesus had to suffer in order to get the right to sit on a throne to reign with his Father. And so will you, ladies and gentlemen. I guess the most probative question that you need to answer today is how serious are you about your standing before God at the end? It's very easy to be distracted. It's very easy for us to live contrary. It's very easy for us to walk in a way that's not pleasing to God. We do it all the time. But I must tell you that in these last days, I have begun to be most sober and most serious about this reality. And I want to say to you, please, 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 please refocus, reattune, get yourself to thinking more solidly and more convincingly about the truth of God's word. Every man, every woman, every boy, every girl will have to give an account for the life that you lived on this earth. And you will be rewarded based on how well you lived. This is, this is an essential, it is an absolute necessity. I can't put too much emphasis on it. And therefore, I want to make sure that I champion this cause with you because I know you're going to have profound regret, but unfortunately, it will be too late. Jesus said in, in Revelation chapter 22, verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense, my pay, my reward with me 
to repay each one for what he has done. I can only say to you, do good. Do the good that when he, in fact, does come, you will receive the pay that you so desperately will want. You will want it. It is my prayer that you will get it.